Have you ever noticed that podcasts are a little like sharks? When they stop swimming, they die, and they can both smell blood from a mile away. So in the spirit of keeping swimming, I'd like to introduce you to TOS Plus. Putting my business pants on for a second, TOS Plus is our new premium membership thingamajig. It's the all-access pass to a growing library of exclusive horror, sci-fi, and WTF audio fiction, along with access to the regular TOS weekly stories in higher quality, a week early, and ad-free. Once again, that's exclusive episodes, ad-free, a week early, and higher quality audio. You'll also get access to the brand new TOS Plus Vault, where you can grab our ebooks, comics, and desktop wallpapers and all sorts of stuff. All of this is available today via our Patreon campaign, which includes juicy extras like Discord access, audiobooks, and merch. And if you're an Apple user, you can subscribe directly via the Apple Podcasts app. We're now in our eighth year of the podcast, and we've got so many cool projects on the boil none of which would be possible without the ongoing support of our listeners, specifically our premium subscribers, our super-powered patrons, and the many multi-dimensional voodoo priests air-guitaring to the TOS intro jingle. For more, head over to theotherstories.net forward slash plus. Once again, that's theotherstories.net forward slash plus. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX 10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799. Hello, my name is Alex Markley, and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is The Tarpin Maze, written by Jesse Krenzel and narrated by Justin Fife. The grey daylight was dying by the time Peter Garrett arrived at the gated entry to the Terrapin Estate in upstate New York. A bitter cold gust swept a wave of dead October leaves clattering across the roadway when he lowered the car to press the call button. The intercom responded in a woman's voice. Mr. Garrett, uh, please enter. He waited for the ornate iron gate to creep open, counting the years since he'd been here. Then he started down the quarter-mile drive through a forest of naked trees that finally parted to reveal the mansion and its crisply manicured surrounding acreage. Seeing it again now, the sheer size and grandeur of the estate impressed him anew. As a child, he'd attended the memorial service for Herbert Tarpin, a distant relative whose industrial patents generated the money to pay for this place and establish a family dynasty. Instead, the hundred acres of ground once held sacred by a nearly extinct Native American tribe had brought nothing but loss and death. 
Approaching the home, he was surprised to see that the infamous Terrapin maze was still intact across the driveway from the main house. He'd assumed old Herbert had scraped the ground clean of the hedgerow complex after what happened there. Maybe Herbert imagined that the ghosts of his dead children still wandered there in the passages of the Green Labyrinth. Tonight, the maze appeared just as Peter remembered it, except for an encompassing steel security fence and gate. Peter parked in the empty, circular driveway and Miss Prophet met Peter at the door. He'd never met Alton Tarpent's matronly caregiver, but she appeared much as he'd expected, though a bit more worn and wary. Oh, thank you for coming on such short notice, Mr. Garrett. I didn't know who else to call, and my flight leaves in three hours. I, I just didn't know. It's fine, he said. I'm sorry about your daughter's accident. I hope she's doing better. She dabbed her eyes. She's still in surgery, and... Well, I'll hold things together here until your service can send a replacement in the morning. She touched his hand. You're an angel of mercy. I've written down the schedule for Alton's medication. Here's the key to the medication cabinet in the kitchen. You mustn't forget the nine o'clock dosage. His anxiety really lights up around that time, and tonight could be extra bad with that horrid anniversary. Of course, said Peter, knowing exactly what she referred to. Seven years to the day since a wolf had found its way into the estate and attacked Herbert Tarpin's three children out in the maze. The beast killed Alton's older siblings, Carl and Sybil, before the gardener outside the maze began firing shotgun blasts into the air to scare the attacker off. Gardner found the mutilated bodies of Carl and Sybil in the center of the maze, and Alton cowering nearby, his shredded clothing soaked with his siblings' blood. Alton was physically unharmed, but the massacre in the maze marked the beginning of Alton's psychiatric care and suicide attempts, at least three that Peter knew of. When his father died in a private plane crash, Alton's care fell to a court-appointed guardian and a long series of caregivers like Mrs. Prophet, until tonight. A car horn sounded outside in the driveway, prompting Mrs. Prophet to gather up her things. That'll be my husband. Don't worry, I'll take good care of Alton, said Peter, escorting her to the door. He watched the taillights of the Prophet car disappear into the woods and paused for a moment to consider his incredible stroke of luck. Then he put his plan into motion, the medicine cabinet had all the sedatives he needed and keys to all locks on the property, including one labeled Maze. Still new to the Alton Terrapin assignment, Mrs. Proffin had been unable to reach his guardian who was traveling in China. She'd assumed that a family member like Peter would be the preferred backup caregiver for Alton until her service could send a replacement. What she didn't know was that the deaths of their father and Alton's siblings the only person standing between Peter and the Terrapin fortune was now the delusional and suicidal Alton himself. Peter found Alton reading in his ground floor bedroom at the back of the house. He was lying on a couch and wearing a pretentious blue velvet smoking jacket, as if mimicking lounging royalty. A frail kid. He looked far younger than his 16 years with a bad complexion and dark eyes that looked too big for his face as they peeked out from beneath a mop of unkempt black hair. 
At a loss for how to approach a half-crazy teenaged stranger, Peter tried a bright introduction. Hey, Alton, remember me? It's Peter, your cousin. The boy ignored him and turned his attention back to the book. I have your evening pills? He held out a glass of water in a paper cup containing extra sedatives. Alton inspected the contents of the cup. That's not the right mix of pills. The doctor called and had me make a change. When? Today? Why would he call you instead of Mrs. Profit? Peter shrugged. I don't know. But if you don't want the meds, that's up to you. He saw fear flash in Alton's face. No, I need the pills. The right pills. I'm just doing what I was told, Alton. It's these or nothing. The kid stared off for a moment, then poured the pills from the cup into his mouth and gulped the water. That done, Peter leaned back against the door jamb to wait for the extra sedative to do its work. I was surprised to see the maze is still here. Do you spend much time out there? Alton frowned, shaking his head. What do you think? Well, uh, I saw a security fence around it now. I suppose that's to keep the wolves out. Alton groaned. One of the doctors said the fence might help with my nightmares. Oh, so how's that working for you? Why are you here, Peter? I barely remember you. Miss Prophet could have called anybody. The gardener, the driver, the housekeeper. Why you? They don't work at night, and we're family, pretty much the last of the family. My garden warned me about you. Alton yawned. The dissolved pills were acting fast. Peter grinned. What did he say? He said that you pester him for money. He calls you a selfish nuisance. Well, family isn't always perfect. I remember your brother and sister. They used to tease you, didn't they? They were cruel to you. You didn't know them, Peter. You didn't know any of us. And yet, I'm family. So I'm glad Mrs. Prophet called. How are you feeling? Why are you pretending to care? You never did anything with my family besides beg for money. My parents didn't want you or your father around me. Well, they're gone now, Alton, so it's just you and me, he smiled. I find that very creepy, Peter. <sighs> he yawned again. Well, as long as we're speaking in unvarnished truths, I always wondered how you survived that night when your brother and sister were torn apart like dirty rags. That's what's made you crazy, right? crazy stories about the pool in the maze being cursed with a monster. Nice touch, by the way, but I still wonder how a little worm like you survived while that bear or wolf or whatever tore Carl and Sybil to pieces. You, you come here pretending to be some part of the Tarpon family, but you're just a bottom-feeding leech, Peter. Babysitting me is the closest you'll ever get. It's harping money. He was slurring his words now. A good sign. I'll see to that when... When... Are you fading out of me, Alton? That's okay. Don't fight it. Alton's eyelids closed, and he melted back into the couch. 
Peter used the next 10 minutes to turn off security cameras and unlock the gate to the maze. When he returned to Alton's room, the kid was snoring softly with his head back and mouth open. He hefted him over his shoulder and carried the last 85 pounds of tarpon humanity out the front door to the maze across the driveway. The night was lit by a full moon and the maze by frequent amber landscape lights along the maze passages. The dense hedge walls felt thick and strong to the touch, far too strong to step through for a shortcut. Peter entered, counting the turns and reciting the sequence he'd gleaned from a satellite image of the maze. Two, three, one. Three, three, four, four, two, three. The numerals corresponded to the sequence of left and right turns that would lead him to the center maze and the pool where Alton would commit suicide. Peter's story would be simple. Alton attacked him, hit him with something, and took the key to the medicine cabinet where he found the other keys to the security camera closet and maze. Then he overdosed himself and wandered into the maze pool to join his precious brother and sister in death. Not a bad plan that Peter had improvised in less than 30 minutes. Thank you, Mrs. Proffens, for your unexpected call for help. The coincidence of the sibling's death anniversary made the plan positively irresistible, and for the moment, all Peter had to do was follow his memorized turn sequence. But the kid's weight soon began to tire him. To stop and rest meant picking up 85 pounds of dead weight from the ground, which at this point would be difficult, and he couldn't risk dragging Alton. That would leave telltale drag tracks on the path, strong evidence of foul play. The police would look carefully for such evidence when they learned that Alton's death meant Peter would inherit. By the fifth sequence of turns, Peter was stumbling and breathing hard. His expelled breath looked like yellow puffs of steam in the chilly night air. He paused to rest, but a sudden doubt overtook him. Was that my fifth set of turns or my sixth? He calmed himself to think. It's my fifth sequence. That's three right turns, then left at the next four junctions for the sixth sequence. Come on, Peter. Hold yourself together. You're almost there. The distance between the turns of the passages grew shorter, suggesting he was now nearing the center of the maze. He picked up his pace and two minutes later arrived staggering and struggling for breath at the pool in the maze center. The pool was as he'd seen in the photos, round, 20 feet across and surrounded by four stone garden benches. He laid Alton on a bench and sat on the other to rest and think through the remaining tasks. He would place the medicine cabinet, maze, and security camera closet keys in Alton's pocket before dropping him into the pool. Then he'd turn to the house and strike his own head as evidence of Alton's attack. He'd be very careful about fingerprints. When he was ready, Peter went to Alton and stuffed the three keys into his jacket pocket. Kid was mumbling delirious nonsense. Suddenly, he opened his huge eyes and appeared alert and focused. Peter froze. Waking from such a drug overdose seemed impossible. The boy's head rolled from side to side. Those panicked eyes looking around, realizing where he was. No! No! He shouted. What have you done? He struggled to sit up and began screaming at a piercing high pitch that felt like knives thrust into Peter's eardrums. Peter thrust an arm under Alton's arching back and lifted. He staggered to the edge of the pool and dropped the boy in. The splash sounded like a deep water dive. 
The screaming turned to coughing, gasping breaths as Alton thrashed about for a moment. Then he sank into the darkness, and all was quiet. Peter took a deep breath and savored the silence. He tried to focus again on his plan. The struggle and the screaming had rattled him. He went through his mental checklist until he felt certain that all the details in the maze were done. At his feet, the surface of the pool was still churning a little from Alton's struggle in the darkness below. Little waves lapped at the edge. And Peter realized the kid was a fighter after all. He had started back through the maze feeling drained by Alton's struggle. But once among the hedgerows again, he soon became disoriented. Reversing the memorized sequence of turns proved to be difficult in his exhausted state, and the night was growing colder with each passing minute. He tried to retrace his steps to the pool to start again, but the pool eluded him as well. In fact, he sensed he was traveling away from the maze center instead of towards it. He finally stopped, closed his eyes, and took three deep breaths to compose himself. In the utter silence of the maze and surrounding countryside, he heard a low grunt, as if a neighbor's livestock had found its way into the estate. He pressed on, accompanied only by the sounds of his labored breathing and his soft footfalls. Then he heard the animal grunt again. It sounded closer now, as if it might be grazing right next to the maze, separated from Peter by only a few feet. He hurried to turn in the passage and saw that he was nowhere near the edge of the maze. Confused and disoriented, he walked faster now and thought he heard the footfalls of an unseen beast off to his left. The first real chill of fear squeezed Peter's gut when he realized that the sounds were coming not from near the maze, but within it. Had he closed the gate when he entered? He didn't think so, not while he carried Alton. Peter hurried down another passage, but this time he paused at the turn to peek around the hedgerow. Nothing there. Then he jogged to the next junction and stopped again. He heard heavy breathing in the passage next to his. Summoning his courage, he reached into the hedgerow, parted the leaves for a tiny tunnel view. Something there passed by, moving fast to the left. Peter bolted right, taking random turns at the junctions, completely lost now, behind him. Heavy feet pounded the ground like horse hooves, back and forth along unseen passages. He rounded a corner and stumbled into the small clearing of the maze center. Stepping up onto one of the benches, he saw the roof line and chimneys of the main house, and it gave him hope. Oriented now, he was about to start again when a hunched dark figure emerged from the maze into the clearing. It walked on its hind legs, but it was more beast than man with long gorilla-like arms and a face covered with hair. Transfixed by the impossible visage, Peter finally recognized the remaining shreds of the stupid blue smoking jacket clinging to the beast's shoulders. Then Peter spoke the only words that came to his mind. Hey, Halton, remember me? Peter, your cousin... I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. The Tarpin Maze was written by Jesse Krenzel, narrated by Justin Fife, produced by Duncan Muggleton, with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effect provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. 
A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshi Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshi Boucher for helping us on mission reading. And of course to Ben Errington, the MC Escher of social media. Bewildering, confusing, and yet so damn enticing. Check out more of Jesse Krenzel's work at jessikrenzel.com. That surname is spelled K-R-E-N-Z-E-L. And Justin Fife is a voice actor and podcaster. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Justin B. Fife. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Hello, my name is Alex Markley and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks. Thanks.